You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Good morning and welcome to Riverview Church Online. It is great to be able to share with you this morning, uh, albeit from this little Christmas corner of my own living room. But we've set this up because today is the first Sunday of Advent. Now, I don't want to freak you out or anything, but there's only four Sundays, including this one, until Christmas. So I hope you've got your shopping kind of underway at least. Now, today we're actually launching into a brand new series and it's in fact going to be a continuation in Luke's Gospel, going back to chapter one. And it will serve as like a a sequel to the series that Ian wrapped up last week called Who is Jesus and Why Should I Care? Now, that whole series was to show that Jesus isn't just some isolated kind of figure in the pages of the the Bible, like a thousand other characters, but he's central to to everything, to the whole story, beginning to end from the, the first book in the Bible called Genesis, right through to the final book, Revelation. And in every 64 books in between those two, the whole story is united to tell God's story of reaching out to you and to me, to mankind. And Jesus even describes himself as the Alpha and the Omega. Now that's using the Greek alphabet. To us in English, that would be like saying, I am the A and the Z, like the whole thing, the whole package, all in all. Now, why should I care? Why should, why should you care about that? Well, three things, really, that are the basis of this series now, because he is present even now. That's true. Wherever you are, whatever your circumstances are, whatever you believe, he is present and he wants to know you. He wants to be known by you. Number two, he is a reality. It's not just a religious metaphor. Jesus is real, living, breathing here right now. And then the third thing is that he is the restorer of all that we have lost. Now that's great news, but it gets better because he's also the guarantee of all that we can hope for. So there we are, this series, There Is Hope. We want to make that message resound loud and clear, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like right now, there is hope. Now, some of you might think, well, that's fine for you Christians, fine for you believers. You know, if you believe in all that stuff, great, more power to you. That's your truth. Leave me with mine. But I'm glad that you've got that little crutch to help you through your life. Or, you know, maybe you're a believer this morning. Perhaps you you might be kind of thinking, why does this all feel like hopelessness, right? Why does this feel like loss right now? Why do these circumstances feel so sucky? (laughs) Like, why am I feeling scunnered and crabbit? about what's going on around me. Like, where is God? Why is he silent? This isn't how I thought it was supposed to be. And I want to ask you, what happens when silence falls? What do I mean? Like, when you cannot hear or see or sense God in your company or in your surroundings, when he seems to be like out of the frame altogether, where are you, God? Why aren't you speaking to me? Why won't you help me? Why won't you answer me? Why won't you just show yourself? God, if you're real, why don't you just appear in front of me so I can see it and know it and believe it? Look, if you've ever experienced that, if you've ever felt that way, if you feel this way right now, surely you are not on your own. 
So I want to very quickly recap where Ian left off last week. And he took us to uh, Luke 24 with this account of these disciples who were walking along the road after Jesus was raised, but they're still in a state of sadness and confusion about all the events they'd seen at his crucifixion. They're very confused about what's going on. And as they're walking along this road from Jerusalem to this little village on the outskirts called Emmaus, Jesus actually appears beside them like, and tracks in with them and starts walking with them physically. And you know what? Even though he's physically there, even though they've done ministry with him, even though they've seen him before, they know his face. For some reason, they don't recognise who Jesus is, even as he physically walks alongside them. Now, that, that's kind of crazy, right? I mean, how could they not recognise him? And surely... It was easier for them to recognise Jesus. What about us who don't see him face to face like that? How are we supposed to recognise Jesus? How are we supposed to see and hear and understand? But, but this isn't even unique to us. This isn't even unique to those disciples walking along that dusty road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. But mankind has constantly and consistently struggled to see God ever since that, that intended relationship with God that he designed us for was severed when Adam and Eve took the fall in like Bible chapter three. We're going to go and have a look in Genesis three in just a moment. So find that Genesis three, because I think it's worth going there before we hit our main passage in Luke today. Let's take a brief look. And what you need to know is you're finding Genesis three and this will come up on the screen as well, is that God made mankind in his likeness, like in his image. And he placed mankind in this perfect, beautiful and safe garden and then gave mankind free reign to, to uh, but with one advisory, free reign in the garden, one advisory, don't touch that one tree in the middle of the garden. You will die. Don't touch that tree. And I think that's kind of like a parent saying to their kids, go on, go play in, in, in the living room, make it your own, make a den, do whatever you want to do, pull all the furniture around, but don't touch the fireplace because you will be burned. And then this mysterious and deadly character enters the frame and points them towards the very thing that they need to avoid, that they've been instructed to avoid. So let's go and read Genesis 3 together. And starting at verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now notice something here. That's not what God said. And this crafty uh, serpent is manipulating and changing what God has said. And there's a pattern there that follows through the whole of history. And then the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will surely die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Bear in mind that they are made already in his image. But this enemy, this, this creature says you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some 
and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then both, the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together to make coverings for themselves. I mean, I'd hate to know what happened if there was a slight breeze there. Um, and then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. You know, this is actually the first kind of silence, if you like, where God seems to be hidden or out of the frame. Where is he when all this is going on? I mean, did he not observe it? Well, you know, the fact that he said, where are you? Like to Adam, it's not a question that Adam and Eve asked of themselves. Like if I'm, when I'm a kid, if I was going to do something naughty, I'd kind of like have a little look over my shoulder first to see if somebody was watching, to see if I'd be able to get away with it. Like, it's not a question that Adam and Eve asked because they didn't know what was naughty and what wasn't. That, they didn't have a comprehension of good and evil until they ate that fruit. And then very quickly, they realised in shame what they had done. But where's God? Had God misplaced them? Had the leaves kind of covered them completely that he had to ask, where are you? Was he too busy to notice what was going on? Well, no, no. He, he saw as they ignored his instruction, as they rejected his wisdom, as they disobeyed his command, as they turned their backs on him to establish their own right and wrong, as they betrayed him to prefer their own way. And he saw their futile attempts to do a cover up to try and hide. So if he was aware of it, and if he saw it all, like what does he mean when he comes back and he breaks that silence, when he comes back into the frame, if it was there all along, why does he come and say, where are you? Well, he's saying, where do you stand? What will you do? Who will you trust? Who will you follow? Who are you? Where are you? He's saying that Adam is no longer recognisable as the creation that he had made. There's a fracture that has taken place, a separation. Where are you? God is always there, but our relationship was broken. Our focus was changed. Our appetite for our own stuff and our preference for ourselves became the thing that hides God from our view. Oftentimes, we are the cause of that silence between heaven and our ears. But if we read on, we see that there is hope in the garden. Even as they were expelled from it and faced judgment and faced horrific consequences, there's still hope that is pointing towards Jesus right there in Genesis 3. If you look at verse 21, God sheds blood for the very first time, until this point, nothing has died, no blood has been spilt, no injury has happened in the garden. But now God sheds the first blood. Why does he do it? To provide a better covering for Adam and Eve. A more lasting and more fulfilling covering for the shame of the act that they had done in betrayal of God. They tried to cover up and it was futile. But God came with a plan to reconcile 
the whole thing and put it back to how it should be. And so there's hope there. And there's also hope on that road to Emmaus because as the disciples did recognise him, they recognised that he had been there all along and their hearts were filled with joy. When they realised this, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? And there's a wonderful thing about hindsight. And when you give your life to Jesus, you, uh, you suddenly look back and find that he has been there, weaving through your own story the whole time to draw you to himself. There is hope. So now our main focus this morning is in Luke 1 verses 11 to 20. And it takes us to a time where heaven has been silent for centuries, like over 400 years, there has been no direct contact from God, no burning bushes, no genuine prophets, no angelic messengers. And then suddenly God comes into the frame and breaks the silence, reveals himself, reveals his plan. There is hope. So if you want to go to your Bibles and find Luke chapter 1, and we'll be reading from verses 11. But before we read that, I just want to let you know this involves a guy called Zechariah. He's a priest and he's actually on duty in the temple, in that kind of church, in that sanctuary place on that day. Uh, He should have been on his own in that place as well. He would have been the only person in the part of that temple where he was. This is a guy who's married to Elizabeth. They're both good, upright, godly people, but they have no children and they're very old. So the likelihood of having children has really passed them by. Also, this takes place before we are introduced to that familiar nativity story of Mary and Joseph and Jesus. So let's have a quick read of Luke uh, 1, verse, uh, going from verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. This would have been shocking because there was supposed to be nobody in there with him. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. No surprise. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah, that's one of those prophets of old, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well on in years and the angel answered I'm Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news and now you will be silent and will not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their proper time that's the word of the Lord now what happens when God breaks the silence, when he reveals himself, when when it dawns on us that he is there and has been all along. That's four quick things. Firstly, when he speaks or reveals himself, it can initially kind of shake us right down to the core. And it should really, because he's a holy God. Adam and Eve, their response when they hear God in the garden is, I, I heard you and I, I hid. 
I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. Like they tried to cover up. They realized their shamefulness. They realized their nakedness because nakedness is often associated with shame. And so they tried to cover up with fig leaves. Zechariah, he was gripped with fear, startled and gripped with fear. Now, I know it was the angel who stood beside him, but the angel said, I stand in the presence of God. In other words, I'm representing God to you right now. My words are from his mouth. And also, if you look through other parts of the Bible, you see this. You see the prophet Isaiah. He, he says when he has an encounter with God, he says, woe is me. Like I'm undone. I'm doomed. And Peter says, away from me, Lord. When he meets Jesus, he says, away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He recognises something there. He's shaken to his core. And when John, in the book of Revelation, sees a vision of Jesus, he involuntarily falls to the ground as though dead. But the second point is that when God speaks or reveals himself, he also removes fear. So we're initially shaken, but then God comes along and removes fear, like reassures, he reveals his heart, he brings peace. You know, one of the most frequent phrases used through the Bible is do not be afraid or something around that. The, the do nots, do not fear, do not be afraid, do not be anxious, but be courageous, take heart, Trust me, no matter what it looks like, do not be afraid. That's what God does when we come into his presence. Initially startled, initially shaken, but he then brings peace. Adam and Eve, God reveals his rescue plan. To the beast, he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God also provides covering for them. This is a reassuring thing. God's making a way. He's revealing his plan. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them with it in Genesis 3, 21. And then to Zechariah, the angel says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Like the answer is on its way. God is acting upon what you've requested. The plan is in action. The one who is going to crush the head of the beast. Finally, after all of these centuries, he's coming. And you know what, Zechariah? Your son is going to precede him and prepare for him. What good news. There is hope. No matter what it looks like, no matter how long we felt that God's been silent, there is hope. So we need to trust, a.k.a. have faith. So the third thing is that when God speaks or reveals himself, it can often or sometimes seem unlikely or even implausible. I want to give you a little illustration here before we look at that in, in terms of the passage today. There's this story I heard when I was a kid. It's just a story. It's not a real thing. But there's a guy who's caught in a flood. And so the flood starts sweeping into his house and he goes up to the first floor, leaning out of the window. A boat comes along and it's his neighbour in his boat. And he says, look, mate, jump in the boat. I will take you to safety. I'll rescue you. But the man says, don't worry, the Lord God Almighty is going to save me. So you feel free to go rescue someone else. I'm OK. 
And so the guy leaves, and the floodwaters rise, and the guy has to climb out onto like the corner of his roof, on the edge of his roof. And at this point, the, the fire service boat comes along, and they say, mate, jump on the boat, we'll take you to safety. And he says again, no, the Lord God Almighty is going to save me. He's going to perform a miracle, so you go off, it's fine. So they say, suit yourself, and they leave. And now he's up to the chimney top. The floodwaters have pushed him all the way up there and he's clinging to that chimney breast with all of his might trying to stay uh, afloat. And, uh, and at this point, the, the inshore rescue boat comes along and they say, mate, this is your last chance, really. Jump on the boat and we'll take you to safety. And he says, no, the Lord is going to provide my rescue. The Lord God Almighty will save me. And then finally, he's literally about to sink. It's almost like just his hand is able to poke up through the water. And, and at that last moment, a rope flies down from a Coast Guard helicopter and they shout down, mate, grab the rope and we will take you to safety. And even then he says, says, no, no, glugging and blubbing out. He says, no, the Lord God Almighty is going to perform a miracle. He is going to save me. And then he dies. And when he's in heaven, he goes up to God and he says, what, what's going on? Like, where were you? I thought you were going to rescue me. And God says, look, I sent three boats and a helicopter. What more do you want? You know, sometimes we're looking for God to do things in a very specific way that we have in our mind, but God doesn't work like that. And God is going to provide our rescue anyway. And we need to be looking for his presence in the things around us, in the unlikely places. You know, Adam and Eve, they're, they're banished from this garden. They're broken relationship to God. They're bereaved of all they should have been. Uh, like, thanks for the new clothes, God, but how are we going to find our way back into this garden, back into this relationship? And God says, your seed is going to crush that serpent's head. It seems unlikely. It seems far off. Zechariah, how unlikely is this? Elizabeth and I are old. How are we going to conceive a son and bear a child right now? And then ultimately, Jesus, a conquering king who is, is victorious by making himself nothing, by shedding his blood, by dying in agony. This is looking like a fail, like the Jewish people were expecting their Messiah, but Jesus didn't fit their expectations. He didn't fit what they wanted from a Messiah. And so many, to many Jewish people, for over 2,000 years, Jesus has been to them like one of those three boats or the helicopter, like constantly rejecting God's hand of rescue, God's hand of salvation. They are rejecting his rescue plan. And it's not just Jewish people. Like if you don't know Jesus now, but you've heard about him, that's been one of those rescue chances. And today is another of those chances of rescue. Get in the boat, get yourself safe. And this really leads to my final point. Like response. When God speaks or reveals himself, we need to respond. We need to choose what we're going to do with that. Now, Zechariah, notice initially he found it really hard to believe. And the consequence was like temporary silence, temporary muteness. And when we follow the lead of doubt over faith, it clouds everything. It obscures our view of God's reality. Whenever there's a wall between us and God, it's a barrier of our own construction. He wants to be in a relationship with you. Oftentimes we cause our own blindness, our own deafness towards God by our 
unbelief. And in doing so, we also cause like our muteness. Spiritually, we lose our voice. It's a result of the initial severing of our relationship with God as it was intended in the, in, back, sorry, back in the garden. But there is another response. Later, Zechariah puts his faith where his mouth is. He names John. Immediately, he has his voice back. The first thing that he does when he has his voice back, what is it? Praise. He praises God. Faith has taken over from the place of unbelief. So as we respond today, what will you do when God breaks the silence? when he reveals himself, when it dawns on us that he is there and has been all along. Will you rejoice? Will you worship? Will you uh, bow down before him? Will you re-establish trust or belief? Would you seek to listen to him, to obey, to try to get to know him? Or would you doubt? Would you dismiss him? Like it's too implausible. It's obviously just my imagination or just some fairy tale religious stuff. Would you reject him? Like, get away from me. Let me do it my own way. I'll I'll wait for a better rescue. I want to see something more from you, God, that's a bit more miraculous than this. Or maybe you just choose, you could just choose to ignore him, like head under the pillow, fingers in your ears. And Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. You have to open the door. You have to take action. He's standing at the door and knocking. If you're listening to this message today, he's standing at the door of your heart and knocking. Are you going to open the door and let him in? Or like little Richard in that old song, are you going to say, I hear you knocking, but you can't come in? How will you respond to the King of Glory as he knocks on the door of your heart this morning? God is providing your rescue, your salvation. Even if that rescue isn't immediately recognisable or even preferable to you. So stop waiting for him on your terms and see what he's already provided. Otherwise, one day you'll stand before him and you may well say, why didn't you tell me, God? Where were you? And he will say, I did tell you and I was with you all along. Look, as I wrap up, there is hope because God's not playing hide and seek with us. He, he, he wants to be found by you, by me. And whether we believe him now and we're just finding it hard in this circumstance or whether we don't yet believe, God wants us to experience him in this life. He wants us to know him, to walk alongside him, to recognise him in our lives, to see and to hear and to experience him. Like we restrict ourselves, we hurt ourselves, we deprive ourselves when we stand on a fortress of unbelief. But There is hope. There is hope because Jesus is real and he is with us and because God will break the silence. He is present. He is involved. He is speaking. He is reaching out to you, to me, even when he cannot be seen. He's working. And the antidote to unbelief, the vaccine that we have all been so waiting for is faith. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't yet see. When uncertainty increases, let faith increase 
all the more. When silence falls, let faith arise. And when silence falls, remember there is hope because Jesus is the rescue plan and the rescuer. He is Emmanuel. And this is where I finish. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is God for us. And for that reason, there is hope.